0: Lord Almighty, we come into your presence. You are the majestic King of kings and Lord of lords. We worship you this morning. We come because there is no one else to come to. You are great. And we are in humble awe. Lord, let us meet you today in your word. Let us know you better so that we will therefore love you and trust you more. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Grand Canyon is majestic. Of course, that's a little like saying water is wet. One time many years ago, I came to the edge of the precipice there in northern Arizona and looked down and got dizzy. Impressive. My stepdad and his buddies decided they wanted to walk down to the bottom of the canyon and spend the night there. And so the next day, my uncle said, hey, let's go walk halfway down and meet them on the way up. Well, I was 10 years old, so I was willing to do anything. But we had a problem. We had no water. We had another problem. My uncle, as we walked down the hill, didn't see the water holes we were told were down there because all the people were gathered around them. Yeah, it really was that bad. My mom would have skinned him alive eight hours later when we walked up out of the canyon if she had had a knife ready. Fortunately, she didn't have a knife handy. But what's important here is the thought that came to mind later. It was something along the lines of, man, that really is a grand canyon. Grand in the sense of great. Grand in the sense of large or very big or very deep. And I knew that it was grand because it had taken so much effort to walk down in it and then so much effort to come back up out of it. The work that was involved in conquering that trail was great. Therefore, the canyon was grand. That day even though I didn't know it, I gained an appreciation of majesty. Something is majestic or something has majesty if it is great or it's overwhelmingly impressive in some way. Majesty is that quality that a person or thing has because of its greatness. Glory, then, is the manifestation of greatness or majesty. Glory is what you see or hear or taste or feel or smell that causes you to recognize you are in the presence of majesty, a weightiness that makes you stop what you're doing and focus on the other. God, for example, is glorious because He is majestic. He is overwhelmingly majestic to a degree that makes the Grand Canyon look like my daughter's sandbox. Now, God will one day have His glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea because when everyone notices equally God's glory, when they feel His majesty we will humble ourselves and we will rejoice to do so. Because humility is what you feel when you experience the glory of a majestic person or place. Humility is the singular non-focus on yourself. Humility is recognizing you are not the center of the universe and you should not act as if you are. The Grand Canyon... And even the Psalms that describe the majestic God are there in part to make us feel humble. It's because God uses majestic things like the Grand Canyon or Mount Denali or the 3,000 foot cliffs that fall away from the summit of Mount McWhitney that I army crawled to look over. And he uses these to draw our attention away from ourselves and onto something, almost anything else, so that we will step away from the precipice of insanity. Today... What I want to do is I intend to put a barrier in place between you and I and the insanity of self-focus so that we will not easily fall. Because today, King David is going to call you and I to reflect and to represent Jesus. Now, let's be clear here. The Grand Canyon doesn't care if you find it majestic or not. In that sense, God and the Grand Canyon are not alike. But like the Grand Canyon, Psalm 8 is all about God, not about us. Psalm 8 is majestic because it points us to God and away from ourselves so that we can grasp and be grasped by the strong rope and be pulled up by the grace of God won at the cross of Christ by the power of the Spirit. And while we are there, while we are safe from the insanity of self-focus because we are looking at the majestic, glorious God, we will be able to rejoice and reflect and represent Jesus. Let's see how this plays out in David's Psalm 8. He writes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! this psalm is about God, not about you. God is magnificent. God is majestic. Our eyes must be turned to God. And while there in breathless silence, we stop in awe and rejoice because He is greater. He is more dizzying than looking over the edge of the precipice the Grand Canyon now it is true David does speak to the human condition and when he does he tells us that we have a derived glory we have a glory that is ours no doubt but our glory that is ours is bestowed upon us he gives us what and who we are which is magnificent but we have this magnificence we have this majesty if you will Because God makes us magnificent. We see this right away in verse 1, where David says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now I want you to see here, please don't miss the person addressed here and throughout the entire psalm is Yahweh. God is our sovereign, He is our Lord. He is the rightful ruler of all. He has ultimate authority and he has the ultimate glory. Everyone, as we shall see, will bow the knee to him who is king of kings and president of presidents. Yahweh is greater than the Grand Canyon. He is greater than the Pacific Ocean because he created them. He drew them with his little finger, so to speak. God is majestic on a level that cannot be compared to galaxies, and his glory makes everything else seem infinitesimal. Now, I want you also to notice that David begins and he ends his psalm with describing how magnificent, how majestic God is. And when he is doing this, when he is noting how majestic God is, he doesn't talk about human beings. Instead, in the middle, when David does get around to talking about human beings individually and corporately, he uses a very uncomplimentary image for us. He calls us babies. He calls us infants. He says, you have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger now please note that these verses stress the glory of God God is majestic so majestic is God that he is able to use babies infants to establish the strength that he maintains over his foes but the question we need to ask ourselves is how the key question here in verse 2 is how does establishing strength over foes from the mouths of babies and infants how does that bring glory to God well there's at least two answers the first is the magnificence of a craftsman is seen by the work that he could do our God is pretty impressive but that Majesty or magnificence is even more visible, more clearly seen, when the tools that God is forced to use are deficient. And how magnificent is God that he can accomplish his perfect will with you and me as his tools, which is why David alludes to our humanity as babies and infants. With us infants, he is able to still the enemy and the avenger. My friends... Let me tell you a secret. Jesus is not afraid of viruses or riots. God is strong enough to use infants like you and me to thwart his enemies. How? How does he do that? With our trust that he will come through for us when we cry out to him. Because when we trust that he will come through for us when we cry out to him, we will not be afraid. How? We see it when we exercise the trust that follows our prayers, that follows our cries out to him, and we demonstrate this trust by our love for those around us. That trust and the acts of love that demonstrate that trust is how you and I will reflect and represent Jesus. But there is a more fundamental answer to the question of how does God get glory. There's a more fundamental answer at work here. What, I ask, comes out of the mouths of babies and infants. Cries, plaintive calls for help. You see, a baby is 100% dependent and has nothing to recommend it but the compassion in its parents' heart. In a healthy family and healthy babies, these cries of help are expected to be answered because the baby learns trust. Trust is where Paul finds his strength. We see this in 2 Corinthians 12 verses 9 and 10. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you want to be strong? Then listen. Don't rely on your dashingly good-looking lack of hair. Don't rely on your smarts or your money or your connections. Don't rely on chariots and horses or takes and planes. Rely on the strength only trusting in God can give. Rely on the humility to say, This is not about me, Lord. I will do my work as unto the Lord. And that is when you will praise Jesus. That is when you will reflect and represent Jesus. Now, in the rest of the psalm, David's poem gives a question and then a twofold answer to that question right before he returns to the big idea that God is majestic and you and I are simply bystanders rejoicing over his glory. In verses 3 and 4, the question is, what is mankind that you care for him? Then in verses 5 and 6, he answers the question by saying, you have given mankind a derived glory. You have cared for him in four ways. And then in verses 7 and 8, you have given mankind authority over all creation. (laughs) Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. But how does David Do this? Well, we see in verses 3 and 4. David says, When I look at your heavens, at the work of your fingers, at the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the Son of Man that you care for him? Now, another way of expressing our powerlessness of our humanity. The smallness of us, both individually and corporately, is not only to compare us to infants, but then to compare us to the rest of the universe. And in these verses, the image is that not that we are babies, but we are dust. We are comparatively nothing compared to what another psalm calls the work of his fingers the intimate, minute detail that he made when he made the stars. Now, listen, this is even better. Because knowing almost infinitely more than David did about these stars 3,500 years later, we look at this and we go, Wow! Wow! God loves us. Now remember, Psalm 8 specifically addresses God throughout, not human beings. David is concerned to remark that God, not man, is central. Just look at how grand the universe is and rejoice in awe. God is central to this story. God is central to every story. And we see here, in verse 4, that God cares. What is man that you were mindful of him? My friends, God is not some king that sits aloof on his throne on a mountain far away. Jesus brings himself near and he chooses to make us dear to him. This condescension, this choosing to make us dear to him, this concern that he pours out upon us, this love for human beings that God bestows upon us, makes us not only the apex of creation, but also his special people who are made to accomplish his special purposes. I want you to see all of that in Deuteronomy 7, 6-8. Moses tells God's people, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. He has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Why did God choose you to be his treasured possession? Why did God set his love on you and choose you? Verse 8. Because the Lord loves you. <laughs> that is wonderful. He loves us because he loves us. Because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of the slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did God choose Israel to make Israel a treasured possession? Because God loves you. God loves you because he loves you. Not because you're so smart, or because you have so many connections, you are lovable because God loves you. You would not be lovable if God did not love you. We love because he first loved us. Our lovableness is a derived lovableness. And praise Jesus for that. Because in myself, I am that infant with poopy diapers. In myself, I am not lovable. And it gets better than that. He says we are his treasured possession among all the nations. And therefore we are to reflect and represent Jesus. He loves us, therefore we are lovable. And that means everyone else is lovable too. So love those God put near you. Reflect Jesus. Jesus is mindful of us. Jesus is mindful also of the person who annoys you. Are you praying for him or her? Are you reflecting Jesus in your mindfulness to them, to bless them, to choose to love them in whatever way you have an opportunity to do so? Represent Jesus. Jesus has placed you somewhere that no one else is. You are God's means for accomplishing His kingdom purposes. So cry out to Him for your near ones. Cry out for those who don't cry out to Him in faith. And when you do, doors will open. Doors only God the Spirit could open. And that is when you will be Jesus in the flesh for those who otherwise can't see Him. You will represent Jesus. And they By God's grace. We'll see him as magnificent, not because you got everything together, but because you don't have everything together, and you have a power at work in you and through you and for you that they can't deny. That is what it means to reflect and represent Jesus. Now, speaking of power at work in us, David continues in verses 5 and 6. He says, you have made mankind a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned us with glory and honor. You have given us dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under our feet. Now, I want you to notice in these two verses we see four ways in which God cares for us. Note. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Once again, wow. It seems as if human beings are more majestic than the Grand Canyon. Amazing. The glory and authority that he has bestowed upon us. Amazing it is that God would stoop so far to bring us up so high. Now I want you to notice in these two verses, the subject of each sentence is you. In other words, the Lord. And the list of things that show human beings to be so grand, so remarkable, dare I say majestic... All of these qualities are given to us. We have earned none of them. We have a glory, no doubt. Our glory is derived from the fact that everything we have is given to us by the King of Kings and the President of Presidents. And my friends, one of the reasons we are so upset about the murder of George Floyd is because he too was created in the image of God. George Floyd, Floyd's murder is a direct disrespect of the God in whose image he was created. And he had a derivative glory. George Floyd had a majesty that was expressed in his imaging Jesus and that was trampled. That was trampled by his murder. Murder. Whatever we find out that George Floyd had done, whatever he was or was not guilty of, whatever flavor of sin he consumed, whatever race, creed, or color he represented, first and foremost, George Floyd represented God. And therefore, we are rightfully upset about his murder. It is right and it is good that we are offended At that disrespect, not only of George Floyd, but also of God. Every man, woman, and child you see is a remarkable being. Red, yellow, black, or white. Every single person, every single human being is the apex of God's creation. So don't disrespect the apex of God's creation. Don't snub the pinnacle of God's creative work. Don't foolishly hate God's prized possession and believe that He will let you get away with it. Instead, reflect Jesus. Exercise your God-given ability to bring healing and peace to those around you. So far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. He brought peace. And Jesus put you where you are to spread that peace. So first of all, know God through his word, and then listen to those around you and speak truth in love. And represent Jesus. In the exercise of your God-given authority over creation, bring life. Don't be a mindless consumer of the baseness of our society. Don't allow your heart to be filled with love for things that are actually soul cancer. And don't let your heart be filled with a hatred of things like people created in God's image that are infinitely valuable. Love those who are near you. And my friends, whatever you do, whatever else you do, don't turn your mind and heart off when you turn your Facebook on. Make sure your thoughts are shaped by God's word, not by the sewage spilling from your monitor. And make sure from your heart, sewage is not spilling. But give the bread of life. Give the water of life that is Jesus. Give the people you know on Facebook Jesus. Reflect him and represent him. Why? Because we are given amazing authority. It says, we have been given dominion over all the sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Now I want you to note here, just in case you missed it, that this passage along with others tells us that we are stewards of all the creatures of the earth. Note, I said steward, not the owner. We cannot simply treat creation in any way we wish. We are borrowing our authority from God. Now, I would love to expound upon this at length. I've got lots of pictures of my bees and my daughter helping me shepherd my bees so you could see a part of what this might look like. But I want to move on to what is the most important part of these verses. There is an unmistakable allusion to Genesis 1 26 to 28 allow me to read it then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it For and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, you have heard me repeat now several times this phrase, reflect and represent Jesus. Now I want to show you where I get this phrase phrase from. Reflect and represent Jesus are not words that were haphazardly chosen. They are meaning, the meanings behind the two words the Bible uses to help us understand what it means to be created in the image of God. Reflect and represent are the meaning behind the words image and likeness of God. Now one of the key meanings of image is reflection. An image is reflection reflects what it images. It shows the important qualities of the original so that those experiencing the image will learn something about that original. This, by the way, is why God commanded people not to make images. He did not want us to make idols because there is nothing in heavens or earth or sea that can adequately reflect him. Except, of course, notably... The image that God made of himself. Human beings. Male and female. But we were also made to represent him. Clearest in this passage is the fact that God created us to wear a crown. We are rulers of creation in his place. We are his stewards. We are God's tools that he left here on earth so that creation would be ruled effectively. Now... That we have done such a marvelous job mucking it up only goes to prove how powerful he made us. And I believe that a large part of the reason the millennium is coming is so that God's people can be a big part of cleaning the muck up. Sorry, if that was weird. And how do we do this? At least in part by reflecting Jesus. Be a good steward of creation around you. Be creative. Work. Plant a garden. Draw beautiful pictures. Sing wonderful songs. Creativity is one of the aspects of the image of God in us that we find in Genesis 1 and 2. So reflect, Jesus, by exercising creativity and making plays, for example. And while you're doing it, rejoice, And stand in awe of the magnificent, majestic person God is. And then represent Jesus. Represent Jesus in your efforts to improve whatever is near you. Again, Jesus brings life, not death. Jesus brings healing, not disease. Be a part of the solution. How do you do this? Pray. Ask Jesus where he would have you Move in your realm around you. Then, because Jesus died on the cross to purchase life and health and reconciliation, ask Him to use you to bring life and health and reconciliation as you win souls and make disciple making disciples. Why? Why should we do this? Why should we give our time, talent, and treasure to do this? Verse 9. Verse 9 tells us exactly why. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name and all the earth. His name, his person deserves all of our attention. Take it off yourself and put it on him and rejoice to stand in awe of the great God who loves you and gave you to your near ones so that you can reflect And represent Him. If God has given us a derived glory, then it is ours to reflect that glory to those who see us. And if He has given us a stewardship, a derived authority, then it is ours to represent Him well. Now Psalm 8 is not fully understood yet. We have not gotten to the heart of it. And I know this because Psalm 8 is quoted in Hebrews 2. Let's briefly look at it. In verses 1 to 4 of Hebrews 2, the preacher lays out the need of a great salvation and unfortunately the neglect of a great salvation. Human beings were created from the dust and were saved by being given the dignity of a great duty. Our duty is to represent Jesus. Our duty is to rule creation in God's place. Then the preacher continues this argument and he says in verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are now speaking and in which we are now living. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. We're going to find out who his is in just a moment. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. As I said, we missed something so far in Psalm 8, but we're about to see it. And what are we going to see? Human beings were given the dignity of duty. We are his representatives. We are to rule his creation in his stead as his stewards. And we were given the dignity of reflecting Jesus, especially reflecting his death. The preacher to the Hebrews unfolds this in the next verses. In verse 9, he says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus. Psalm 8 is all about Jesus. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death, so that, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons and daughters to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. You, Christian, were given a tremendous dignity. You are majestic in the best sense of that term. What is that dignity? Your tremendous dignity, your dignity is to reflect Jesus. And like the Grand Canyon that points to something else, rather someone else, you and I are to point to Jesus. We are to reflect and represent Jesus. Reflect Jesus. Show others around you what Jesus looks like when you live in the power that he won for you at the cross. You don't have to grit your teeth or screw up your courage. Instead, just keep your eyes upon Jesus in every situation. Keep your eyes on Jesus who is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death. Keep your eyes on Jesus and others will see what you're looking at in you. You will reflect Jesus. And represent Jesus. Furthermore, you represent Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And others will see that how you live is different. You're not afraid of COVID or riots. Instead, what you're doing is living without fear. You're repenting of your own sins for sure. You're, for sure you are. But you're also keeping your eyes in God's word. And God's word is changing you. It's molding you to be very different than the world around us. Now listen, some people are going to hate that. But some are going to love it. Your job is to know him so well that you are reflecting him to those around you. Brothers, sisters, this psalm is about Jesus. So when you read Psalm 8, pause. Stop what you're doing and reflect on the other, on Jesus. And as you stand at the very dangerous cliff, not the precipice of the Grand Canyon or Mount Whitney, but the very dangerous, even more dangerous precipice of self-focus, as you come to that in Psalm 8, you will stand back and you will rejoice in the glory and majesty of God. Like standing at the Grand Canyon, you will be drawn to the one who created it, who created you. And you will be able to draw others along with you. Lord Almighty, you have given us great glory and majesty. Let us remember that it is derived. It comes from you and not anything in or of us. But let us instead use that which you have given us to reflect you, to show others what you are like and to represent you, to be doing those works you have given us to do. And Lord, let us love our near ones as you have directed us. Let us show them Jesus, because our hearts and minds are focused on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.